at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, believers are given the command, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, meaning all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's Matthew chapter 28. We call that the great commission of Jesus. I want you to think about that this morning. In the wildest thing, God so loves the world that he provides for it salvation through his son, Jesus. That salvation is secured in the cross and resurrection, is offered to all people through the grace of God. Jesus died for sin. Jesus died for sinners. He is resurrected. He lives again. And the forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and salvation are offered through him by faith. And then in the wildest of turns, God gives people, God gives believers the call, the commission to spread that good news. Now that is wild to me. Uh, That is profound. But even wilder, people are saved by the hearing and the receiving of that good news and they have no hope of being saved apart from the hearing of that good news. And he trusts that mission with people. This morning, I want you to do something. I want you to look around this morning. It's okay. Look around this morning. Don't point at anybody. Don't laugh. It's okay to wave. But look around the room this morning. Go ahead. Some of you are scared. (laughs) Got a guilty conscience, I guess. These are people. These are people. And God trusts the spread of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ to people. Now, that's the craziest turn. He has finished it in the work of the cross of Calvary, and then he has trusted the spread of the saving gospel of Jesus to people. How is that ever going to work? How is that going to work? That is a daunting, overwhelming task. Eternities actually hang in the balance How is that ever going to work? Well, today we're going to revisit our two companions, our two companions in the absence of Christ and for the cause of Christ, these two companions. Our message this morning is entitled, Two Companions Revisited. Two Companions Revisited. Tonight, this morning, one of those, this morning, John chapter 16 Verses 5 through 15. John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. Two companions revisited. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Jesus is continuing to speak. Chapter 16, verse 5. God's word says this. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, will and he when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. 
and concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I say that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for this day. We're thankful for an opportunity to gather on this Lord's Day and celebrate a risen Savior, a hope that stands this morning. We're thankful that we have peace through Jesus. Lord, I pray now as we have gathered, I pray that you again are pleased, are blessed in our worship. I pray, Lord, now in the preaching of your word, I pray knowing it is a, a supernaturally ordained event, I pray, Lord, now that you would take it and you would empower it and you would bless it and you would use it and you would be greatly glorified through it. Lord, I pray that if there's some that do not know you, I pray that in this day, in this event, they would hear of the good news and they would turn to you in faith. Lord, I pray that we as the church, that we would be encouraged as well, that we would be equipped and we'd be made ready for the, the mission that is before us. Lord, we again come and tell you we love you, we praise you, and I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Again today, Jesus is walking with his disciples from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of his arrest. He has been talking on this short journey uh, to the disciples, the last words, the last warnings that he has for them in their life without him, for the mission that they have ahead of them to come. Now, so far he has been telling them what they must do. And if you think about it, that's what he's been doing. He's been instructing them in what they must do. They must be humble. They must love one another. They must abide in him. Now, I don't know if I've said this, but when this is all over, I'm going to preach a sermon series on abiding with him, staying close to him. What an awesome subject that is. We're to abide in him. He has also told them they must abide in his word. He has told them they must walk with and in the Holy Spirit of God. And so all of these things, as they're making this journey, he has told them these are the things you must do to carry an impact as his disciple. Well, now in verse 5, he is about to turn it and he's about to tell them what he will do. And so he's been telling them what they must do. Well, now he starts to turn it, and he's going to tell them what he is going to do. Now, I want you to get this this morning. We have an awesome mission. We have an important mission. We have a weighty mission. But be sure today, it is a shared mission. Praise the Lord for that. It is a shared mission. We do not do it alone. 
We do it with other believers, and we do it co-working with God himself. Now, how awesome is that? How tremendous is that? I said it the other night. If you want to see something awesome, if you want to give your life and your effort for something that matters, if you want to see God work in and through you, then this is your cause. And we get in these routines and we just start plodding through life and we're just making this milestone and we're making this milestone. Listen, if you want to see God work in your life, if you want to see God work through your life, this is what you do. This is your cause. Today we see what Christ is going to do, what God is also going to do. And we see it again in our two companions. A few days ago, we talked about these two companions. We're going to see what God is going to do again through our two companions, the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. The Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God. All right, let's go to our verses beginning in verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, Jesus has told them he's going to the Father. He's told them that. He has told them he's going to the one that sent him, the one who sent him. That is a very profound thing. That is an amazing thing. And yet no one asks, what does that mean? He said, I'm going to the one that has sent me. And no one asks, how are you getting there? No one asks, where even is that? Where would that place be? Jesus has presented them with this deep mystery, and they haven't even asked about it. Now, the reason's in verse 6. But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. The reality is they are still considering what does this mean for them. They're still thinking how this is going to impact them. He says he's going to the one that sent him. He's going to the Father, and they are still wondering, how does this impact me? Remember, instead of being glad that Jesus is going to glory, going home, they are filled with sorrow. Now, there are some folks, there are some people that study this, and they say, well, they're selfish. And here they are, and it reveals how selfish they are. And they say, when they haven't even asked about how to get there, where he's going, it shows that the focus is still on them. I don't, I don't know. I don't think that. I think they're just people. I, I think their world is changing. I think they're about to lose the, the presence of their dear friend. I think they're confused. They don't know what to expect. And so I think they're just people and they're filled with sorrow. Verse 7 is a key verse. Let's look at verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Verse 7 starts off, but you are sorrowful, but... I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I want to I make that plain. Let's be sure and hear that correctly. Jesus says it is better 
for him to go. That's what he says. It is better for him to be gone. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper, referring to the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, the truth is Jesus dies for sin. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Jesus ascends to heaven. At Pentecost, for them, he sends the Holy Spirit. For us, when we are saved, we receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says right here, and this is better. Now, we know, we've talked about it, if he doesn't die, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if he doesn't die, we are still in our sin. If he doesn't die, our faith is vain. If he doesn't die, all of this is empty. We know that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, has to die for our salvation. That's, that's the truth of our gospel. We know that. But is it actually better for him to be gone from us? It, it, couldn't, he, couldn't he come back and just stay with us? Isn't it better that he'd be right with us and that we'd be right with him? How could it be better that he would be gone from us? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. The word for advantage in the original language translates profitable, gain, or better. Jesus says here, it is a better gain. It is more profitable. It is actually truly better that he goes and that the Holy Spirit comes. He said that is the reality. That is the truth. It is more profitable for you that he should go and the Holy Spirit would come. Folks, today, listen to me. We need to be certain of the blessing of the gain that it is for us as believers to be literally filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be sure of that. We make far too light of that. We really, it seems, overlook that. Listen to me. If you are saved, the eternal, powerful Spirit of God lives in you. We are not orphans. We are not abandoned. We, we are not powerless. No, we are temples of the Spirit of God, and he lives in us. Friends, we need to understand the potential of that. God lives in us. Well, how are we ever going to make it? God lives in us. How are we going to carry out this mission the gospel goes out through people. How are we going to carry out this mission? God lives in us. But what if it's hard? What if we feel defeated? What if we're outnumbered? What if we're outmanned? God lives in us. Let me give you a news flash this morning. If you're saved, God lives in you. Right now, if you are saved, if you trusted Jesus Christ, God lives in you. It's okay to sit up a little taller this morning. If you're saved, God lives in you right now. God lives and dwells in you. Let me continue on. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11 as one block, one, one set together. And he, the Holy Spirit, 
when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. If you're not getting it yet, let me make this clear. God intends for you to lead people to Jesus. God intends for you to lead people to Jesus. Now, if that's ambiguous today, if that is unclear today, if you're not sure about that today, if you're confused, if you don't know, then let me tell you, God intends for you to lead people to Jesus. God intends for believers, you, to lead people to Jesus. Growing up, being a disciple of Jesus consisted of two things. First, get saved. Heaven's awesome this time of year. You'll not want to miss it. Get saved. That was the first thing. Get saved. Second thing is this. Do not sin so visibly that people think you're not saved. And so it's okay to sin, but just don't, just don't do it big. Just don't do it where people talk about it. And that's what discipleship was. That's what it was to be a Christian. Get saved. You're not going to want to miss heaven and live a pretty good life so no one talks about you. And if you're doing that, you're living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think that's the thought that many of us have had, that many of us have been taught at least for 50, maybe 100 years. Get saved. We want you to get saved and live a pretty good life so nobody talks about you. Now, I don't know if we're afraid to scare people or if we're scared to force everyone into being a kook. But I don't know that I ever heard that much that God intends you to exist as a disciple and to grow as a disciple to lead people to Jesus. Can I just go to heaven? <laughs> Can I just keep living a pretty good life? No one knows about most of it. Listen to me. You are called to be a disciple, yes. And you're called to grow as a disciple. And you're called to abide in Christ and to remain closely to Christ. And you're called to abide in his word. But all of that is that you would bear fruit, even much fruit, leading people to Jesus Christ. Well, here again we see, if that is our mission, God enables it through his spirit. If that is our mission, God empowers it through his spirit. If that is our mission, God works with us to spread it through his spirit. Right here, Jesus says, the spirit of God, listen to this, not only ministers to you, but also ministers to lost people. That's what these verses just said. Now, the Holy Spirit not only ministers to you as a saved person, not only empowers you, but also ministers to lost people. Tells us three ways. He convicts the world concerning sin. That's the first one. Sin 
because they do not believe in Jesus. Now be sure of this. To see the need for a Savior for sin, you need to know you need a Savior for sin. You have to, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to look for Jesus, trust in Jesus, if you're going to turn to Jesus, you have to be aware of your sin. You have to be convicted of your sin. That is the starting place. And Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict people of their sin. Let me tell you something. The world says conviction is bad. We don't need that guilt. You don't need that conviction. The world says you should avoid conviction at all costs. It hurts. There's some folks this morning that don't want to be a witness. They're probably not coming back tomorrow. Sadly, the church has become the same. We need your attendance and we need your numbers. And brother, sister, we need your tithe. And so we're not going to talk about sin and we're not going to worry about that. And we have become the same. You must be convicted of sin to look to a savior for sin. Jesus says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Praise the Lord for that. That's the starting place. Then it says, and righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness. It says, because Jesus is gone. Now, what that means is the Holy Spirit leads people, convicts people to desire righteousness. It's talking about rightness with God. He leads people to be done with their sin. He leads people to crave the forgiveness of sin. Remember King David after he's caught in his affair and he's caught in his murderous plot. Remember his prayer in Psalm 51. He says, my sin is ever before me. I can't look anywhere that I don't see it. My sin is ever before me. And so he says, wash me from my transgressions. Cleanse me from my sin. The Holy Spirit convicts people They need righteousness. When I was a kid, this is probably going to get me turned into Peter or somebody, but when I was a kid, my granny had chickens. And she actually raised the chickens. She named the chickens Henny Penny. They had names. She loved her chickens. Had a chicken house. She didn't mess with her chicken house. 12, 14 or so chickens. She would feed those chickens. In the afternoon, she'd open the door, and they'd go out, and they'd graze all around the yard. At night, she would make this squeaking sound. Don't know what it was. They would run back into their pen. She'd put them up. She she would get the eggs every morning. She loved her chickens. One day, their German short-haired dog killed one of her chickens. I don't know if it was Henny Penny, but it killed one of her chickens. I remember this. I was about a third grade kid. She, she called that dog over. She got that chicken. He just killed it. I don't know what he was doing. He didn't eat it. And she took that chicken. She took its legs and pulled it up around its neck. Then she took some bailing wire and tied it between its feet. And she tied the chicken to the, to the neck of the dog. 
And I remember he, he was fighting and he was, he was twisting and, and he was barking. He didn't like it. And she twisted it on there and got it tight. He couldn't get it off. He started trying to use his paws. He, he couldn't reach it with his mouth. And she left it on his neck. And I remember we came out and there, there he is and he has a chicken around his neck. And she left it there. Hot. Rotten. August. Two days. And that, that dog's out there, and you see him out in the yard, and he doesn't like this. Three, three days go by, and he's got a, a chicken around his neck, and he doesn't like that chicken. He tries to, to rub it on the ground. He's dragging it all around the ground. He, he can't get it off, and, and another day, and another day. And about a week went by, and he was whipped. And he sat out there, and he howled. And he walked around with his head down. He didn't want to eat. He walked around with his head down. His eyes looked sad. If you ever see a dog with sad-looking eyes, if you looked at him, he looked away. He, he didn't want you to see him like that. And then he just got where he just sat there. In his guilt, in the stink, he just sat there. She came out and she cut that wire. She took that chicken and threw it away. And that dog never killed another chicken. Do you know God wants us to crave righteousness? He sees us in the, in the sorry, filth, stink of our sin, and he wants us to be so sick of it. He wants us to have had enough of it. He wants us to be so tired of the guilt and the shame of that sin that we long for his righteousness. If I could just do something with this sin, if I could just get it off of me, oh, that you would wash me, that you would cleanse me, that we would cling to his righteousness. He convicts concerning righteousness. The third thing, he convicts concerning judgment. It says, because the ruler of this world has been judged already. God convicts people, leading them to see the truth of judgment, that it is real. He leads people to see the standard of judgment, Jesus. That's the standard of judgment. What did you do with Jesus? He leads people to see the result of believing that there is salvation, that there is forgiveness, that there is eternal life. He leads people to see the result of not believing, that there is hell, that there is judgment, that it is literal, that it is eternal. Satan wants people to believe there's no judgment. That's what our world promotes. Satan wants us to believe it doesn't matter. There's no judgment. Just do the best you can. There is no judgment. Remember, it goes all the way back to the start in the book of Genesis. He says, you'll not surely die. There's no judgment. He wants us to believe there is no judgment. Well, God wants us to know the truth of judgment. In your sin, you're condemned already. In your sin, you've earned a punishment, separation from God. And if you die like that, it'll be for all eternity. And so the Holy Spirit convicts. Now, I want to say this. There are some that say if he convicts you, you can't reject it. 
If you'll see your sin, if God convicts you of righteousness and judgment, you will turn. Well, the truth is, people reject God all the time. All the time in Scripture. They reject His, his Spirit all the time. But the, the truth is, in His grace and in His love, He calls them anyway. He convicts them anyway. He draws them anyway. It is who He is, gracious and loving. And so see this morning, our first companion is the Holy Spirit of God. We do not go alone. Our first companion is the Holy Spirit of God. Then we see our second companion in our verses, starting in verse 12. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus says, I've got many more things to say. I've got more words to speak, but you cannot bear them now. Now listen, this is talking about the word of God. The the Holy Spirit reveals to the apostles the word of God. That becomes our Bible, the New Testament. That's what it's talking about. I've got more words to speak, but you can't bear them right now. Understand, before the cross, Jesus couldn't talk about his sacrificial death. He couldn't talk about his supernatural resurrection. He couldn't talk about the truth of the Spirit, not fully, because they, on that side of the cross, couldn't understand it. But, verse 13, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. Again, in verse 13, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth, meaning he reveals the truth. He enlightens the truth. He gives the truth. Well, Jesus says when he comes... He will guide you into all truth. I have more words to speak. I'm not able to speak them now. But when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is talking about the word of God, our New Testament. Now he says here, he's going to say it a couple times, it is not a separate word. It is not a disjointed word, but all of it is the word of God. Meaning there's not the words of Jesus, there's not the words of the Father, and there's not the words of the Spirit, and somehow they do not mesh. It is not a disjointed word. All of it is the Word of God. Now there's something worth seeing here. Notice it says, and and there's, there's something that's starting to build right here. Notice it says, He will disclose to you what is to come. Now, this is pretty exciting. We're going to start to see it in the next couple of verses. When he comes, he's going to tell you the words that I didn't tell you. It's going to be the word of God. And part of that, he's going to tell you what is to come. Well, if you read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you're going to hear the rapture that is to come. If you keep reading and you get to Revelation, it's going to tell you a new heaven and a new earth that are to come. And so he says, when he comes, he's going to tell you of the things to come. Well, when you look at your Bible, he has told us in his word the things to come. Verse 14. He will glorify me, 
For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He'll take my words and disclose it to you. Verse 15 with it. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The verses mean the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, tell of the words of Christ. Again, not a separate word, not a disjointed word, but also the Word of God. And so he says the words that the Holy Spirit are going to give, all of it, are going to glorify Jesus. All of those words, they're going to glorify Jesus. Now what that means is they're going to lift up Jesus. They're going to exalt Jesus. The Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, every word of it inspired by God is to exalt, to glorify, to lift up Jesus. Friends, listen to me. We ought to get excited about this. Listen. These are those words. Do you understand that? We ought to, we ought to be excited. These are those words. The words of God, they're perfect because he is. They're complete because he has given them. They are without error because he can't make a mistake. They are the truth because he is the truth. They are limitless in wisdom because he is infinite in wisdom. Friends, these are those words. And they're put on a page and they're printed with ink and yet they're living and active. They are the words of God. And all of them tell us of Jesus, the hope of sinner, the need of man, the giver of grace, the lamb victorious. Friends, these are those words. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. These are those words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. These are those words. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. These are those words. So you be sure today, we are prepared today. We are ready today. We have all that we need today. We stand between our two companions, the Spirit of God and the Word of God, and we're ready to go tell a lost world there is hope in Jesus today. That is your mission. That is my mission. And today we are ready. We're ready The goal of this hundred days is that people would become disciples by putting their faith in Jesus. It's also that people would grow as disciples by learning the truth of Jesus. For some folks, it's both, that they would get saved and grow as a disciple. Well, if you're growing as a disciple, I want you to hear, we're about to close. The point of that is not that you'd have a big Bible with a bunch of notes to carry around. The point of that is not that you'd be deemed impressive when you could rattle off a bunch of verses. The point of that is that you would lead people to Jesus. And so listen, this 100 days, we can come and we can knock off 28 more of them and we can go and say, praise the Lord, look at the things we heard, or we can actually stand as disciples of Jesus Christ as he's called us to be and we can lead people to Jesus. Here's my encouragement to you. 
The next 28 days, here's my encouragement. You endeavor to lead someone to Christ. You want to see something crazy? You want God to work through you? Haven't you gone your whole life? I'd like to be like that. I'd like to be like that. You want to see God move in a tremendous way? You endeavor to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. You start to pray about somebody. And maybe they're your friend. Maybe they're your coworker. Maybe they live on your street. Maybe they, maybe they run in your circle. Maybe they're in your family. But you start to pray about, God, give me somebody to lead to Christ. And you start to plan to be deliberate. And you start to understand you're prepared. You're not waiting for somebody else. You have the word of God. You're filled with the spirit of God. And in the next 28 days, you endeavor to tell somebody there is hope in Jesus. You tell them they're so loved, and you tell them this gospel. And I want to tell you what. I, I've been sitting here going the last few weeks. Man, I, I'm praying for God to move. Man, I'm praying for God to move. You know when God will move, when his people move. And they walk out in faith, and they stand as disciples, and they lead a lost world to Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. Without the testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ, somebody you know is going to perish. In fact, I'll tell you, many folks you know are going to perish. It's time for disciples to stand as disciples. We're ready today. We're ready today. We have our two companions. We're filled with the Spirit of God. We have the Word of God. Let us be serious and endeavor to lead somebody to Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come. We're thankful for this. We're thankful that you love us. We're thankful that you so love us that you send your one and only son to, to pay for our rebellion, to pay for our sin, to redeem us, that we would be forgiven. We could step away from the filth of our sin. We could walk away from the shame of our sin. We could stand wearing the righteousness of our pure, perfect lamb, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray, Lord, as, as we've heard this today, I pray for two things. I pray for somebody that doesn't know you to turn to you today, to understand the, their sin, to understand the consequence of their sin, to understand the Savior for that sin, Jesus. And I pray that today they would turn to you. They'd be saved on this day. And then I pray for those here that are, that are saved, that have trusted you. I pray as we've grown as disciples that we'd be ready to take steps of faith, steps of boldness, steps of courage, steps trusting in you, needing you to, to be our, our partner in it, to work with us. Lord, I pray that in the end, in the hearing of the gospel, that it's still the power of God and the salvation, I pray, Lord, that there's many that turn to you. The fruit would be much glory brought to your name. Lord, use us like that. Start that today. Move in our hearts today. Let us think about it all afternoon. Burden us for somebody lost. Help us to be bold as a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you again for this opportunity. We thank you for this day. We thank you for these 72 days. Lord, we pray for the next 28. We give you all the glory. We praise you and we worship you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The point to all of that, he calls us to be witnesses. He gives us the witness of his word. The point to all of that is this, God loves you. God loves you. Seeing you in your sin, seeing the condition that you've earned, that you deserve in your sin. He loves you. He loves you so much he sends his only begotten son. He comes and he takes our sin, our shame. He bears it to the cross of Calvary. The Bible says even becoming our sin. There he takes my punishment. There he takes your punishment. 
He pays for it. He settles it himself. He dies paying for it, sheds his own blood, put him in a grave. Three days later, the penalty's paid. Three days later, he walks out. He stands with a receipt in his hand as the risen Savior, our King. Bible says if we'll profess faith in that, not of any work that we would ever do, not of something we have to muster up, not of something we have to do to impress people or impress God, we can't do any of those things. But by faith in Jesus, we are saved. If you've never trusted Jesus, do it today. If you've never turned to him as the remedy for your sin, do it today. He's finished it. He's settled it. Call upon him. Trust him. He'll save you today. He will save you today. If you're here and you've done that, but you've never followed a believer's baptism, I want to tell you, it's an important thing. It's a, it's a command that Christ gives us to testify to the world through baptism. This is what I believe of Jesus. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, maybe it was some time in the past, maybe it was some time recently, but you've never followed in believer's baptism. The Bible says it's always after you're saved. The Bible says it's always by immersion. That's the New Testament model. If you've never done that, you come as well, and it'll be a great day of testimony, a great day of celebration pointing to what we believe of Jesus. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, last night we talked about the importance of the church, participating in a church. If you're looking for a church home and you've prayed about it, you believe God has led you here, you come as well. We'll join together and we'll serve for his glory, for his namesake. Maybe this morning you want to come pray to an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe nobody knows what's going on, nobody knows what you're dealing with, and you want to come in humility, just bring it to him. Nothing's too big and nothing is too small. I'm going to ask that no one would head for an exit, no one would stir about, but you pray for those that are making decisions. If God has spoken to you, if you have a decision to make, as we stand to sing, you step out and you come on, I'll meet you here.